Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I am your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and thank you once again for joining us for what is going to be a spectacular podcast. My name is W.J. Sheehan, author of the series of books, Bigfoot Terror in the Woods, Sightings and Encounters, nine volumes available at Amazon in ebook, paperbook, paperback, <laughs> and, <laughs> and Kindle. And if you're an audiophile, you can get volumes one through eight at Audible, iTunes, and Amazon as well. So not only can you whistle while you work, you can listen to Bigfoot Terror in the Woods while you work. And now, may I introduce you to my brother and co-host, KJ Sheehan. Kev, how are you? I'm doing all right. What's going on, Bill? Well, we've got a winner from a little woodchuck, 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 woodchuck. <laughs> a woodchuck, could chuck wood free book contest. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. <laughs> that wasn't and, the answer, was it? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> but the winner is Diane K, like King, Diane K. And Diane, if you don't know by now, you have a part to play in collecting the goods. You, number one, have to be listening to this podcast where I've just announced your name. And you must respond back to me, identifying yourself as the winner and giving me your mailing address. Okay, so Diane K, you are the winner of an autographed copy of Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters. So congratulations. And for expedited shipping, ship me a $50 bill. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yeah, it's free except for uh, shipping. separate shipping and handling Shipping charges. and handling. That amount to fifty-nine ninety-five. <laughs> <laughs> uh how about those TV commercials where they say you can get the second one free, just pay separate shipping and handling? Well, it's not even shipping and handling. Often it's shep separate fee. You know what I mean? So it's yeah, like you're buying one for twenty bucks and you get the second one for twenty one dollars. Right. While the guy's free. standing in front of the bin pulling one out, you get charged separately for him to handle two pulling him out of the well, bin. Well, you know. <laughs> what a racket. What a maroon. 
So, bro, what do you got in our cryptids in the news and other oddities segment for this podcast? Yeah, so we got a couple of things in the news this week that I want to touch on, at least lightly. And then we're going to go and talk about a um, classic hairy man encounter of sorts. Hmm. All right. So first off, I mean, right now, as I'm sitting here, Bill, I should be able to look up at the moon and see, in theory, the Artemis spaceship from NASA circling the moon. And unfortunately, as you may know, that mission was scrubbed yesterday morning. So they didn't launch it on time. I didn't know that. What was yeah. it, weather? No, no, I wish it was weather. They had what they thought might have been a leak on the on the uh, fuel tank. And then they they ruled that that wasn't a leak and not a problem, but they have a problem with one of the three or four engines at the base of the rocket. All right, well, look, better better safe than sorry in those situations, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm just, uh, I'm kind of pulling for NASA to get back in the space race, right? Because this is all about, really, the race to Mars. And it's NASA against, you know, Elon Musk and some others yeah. trying to get there first. Yeah. And the first step is kind of cool, this Artemis rocket. Uh, it didn't have any people on it. They actually had mannequins uh, where the astronauts would sit, apparently. And um, they believe that to get to Mars, first we have to set up a base on the moon. And um, this this is the first step to setting up a base on the moon, mm-hmm. which is super cool. Because I guess yeah. the capsule from Artemis would go down to the surface of the moon. That would start to be the base. And then there would be an orbiting craft around the moon. That would be where future rockets from the Earth would land and dock with this craft that's orbiting the moon, and mm-hmm. then you take some type of transport from the orbiting, the lunar orbiting craft down to the moon and then board on a Mars journey from there. So it's kind of a cool idea, right? I wonder if the uh, eventually the orbiter on which people will be is going to be some type of like warehouse or staging area to bring things to the moon. It could be, but they really just want to use the moon from what i understand as the next launch point Mm -hmm. so you know you could use a lot less fuel and stuff like that if you launch from the moon toward mars compared to going from the earth towards mars yeah well you don't have to fight through the gravitational field in the atmosphere of the earth yeah less gravity right yeah once you fire up the smoke look at look at what propels the uh the space station and the capsules when they're docking, these little jets that give out a little blast to direct them or get them moving. There's no resistance. Yeah, bottle rockets. Okay, yep. maybe not bottle rockets. <laughs> so the yeah. Artemis launch was scrubbed, but any of you NASA folks, if you're also Bigfoot enthusiasts and you're listening, we're pulling for you. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. We're big fans of uh, NASA and uh, all that they do. And it's it's too bad that the program was all but shut down for a long time due to uh, disinterest by the wrong parties and lack of funding, because I think what they're doing is uh, sensational. Yeah, and I think, you know, not to get into the debate here, there was room for improvement in how it was run. So 
I yeah. think they did a different approach with this program, and I, I was pulling for them. Again, it's not over. They, they're they hoping that they can fix the engine, the faulty engine, while it's on the launch pad. Um, if they have to bring it back into that huge, whatever they call it, the equipment reassembly building, um, then we're probably a month or two out from what I understand. Yeah, yeah. Well, so. it's better that they get it the first time and get it right than to fumble through it and destroy the rocket entirely. Oh, yeah. or, you know, you don't want that to happen. I heard this morning, I think each engine costs like 7 or $8 billion with a B. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's a, <laughs> it's a cheap project. Cheap project, you know. <laughs> yeah, and then oh, the, the second bit of news uh, that I wanted to cover briefly is uh, the Webb Telescope uh, put back some images of Jupiter. Did you see those this week? Yeah, pretty amazing how when they just focus on the planet. Spectacular. Uh, unbelievable. Yeah, so if you haven't seen that, folks... Take a look at the Webb Telescope images of Jupiter. We've had great images of Jupiter before, but, you know, if you compare it to great, these are spectacular. Yeah, yeah. You know, you can see some of the moons of Jupiter. You can see the rings of Jupiter. And then you can see the auroras at the north and south pole of Jupiter. Spectacular. Just really incredible, man. I, yeah. You know, Again, it looks like a poster... That was made up on a computer that a kid would hang on the wall of their room, but it's actually a photograph of Jupiter. Yeah, like an artist's conception, right? Exactly, an things. artist's conception of Jupiter, but these are actually photographs coming back. So, yeah, awesome. it really is amazing, man. Yeah. And uh, much future success uh, to that program and whatever's going to spin out of that, because you know they're not going to stop there. Yeah. I mean, this is going to spark a maelstrom of desire globally uh, to see what else we can do better than that. You know, they're going to keep trying to one-up it because nobody's going to say, oh, sorry, guys, it's not as good as we expected and we're withdrawing the funds. Yeah. You know, yeah. this is really, uh, this pushed them over the top in ways that I don't know anybody really expected. But now that the world is seeing this, people are just like, you know, wow. <laughs> what else yeah, can 100%. you say? Yeah, You know, so. I mean, again, I still love the stuff that we shared a few podcasts ago of the, the Webb Telescope's photos of all of the other galaxies around us, solar systems around. I mean, it's like. Oh, my goodness. They were spectacular. I mean, they were honestly 10 times more spectacular than the picture of Jupiter. But the picture of Jupiter is pretty da pretty darn cool as well. Yeah, Kev, you know, I have no idea how many universities uh, around the globe have astronomy programs. But yeah. can you imagine with one fell swoop, this uh, web telescope... Those classes are going to be standing room only. Exactly. That's yeah. so much more interesting now that it's not an artist's rendering. Yeah. And you actually have these photographs. Like, yeah, holy I mean, cow. Yeah, I think it's good. The industry, if you could call it an industry or the scientific field, I think it's just going to explode. Yeah, so much more interest in the field as well from students, which is great. Yeah. 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 No. Hey, I, cool. wouldn't mind, I wouldn't mind sitting on top of a Mount 
in some telescope uh, <laughs> observatory, uh, turning a few bucks and looking at the night sky every day, you know, that would be awesome. Yeah, as long as it's not on some remote island in the middle of the Pacific. It's yeah. kind of like a modern-day lighthouse keeper. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're up on a mountain, you might have to contend with the hairy man, too, wondering oh. what you're doing in there. <laughs> Can I come in? <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, speaking of the hairy man, we're going to transition to that. So the main topic that I'm going to cover this week in Cryptids in the News and Other Oddities is what is known as the Sierra Sounds. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, we haven't covered this yet, which is a little surprising. But uh, these were the recordings that were made in Sierra Nevada, in, I'm sorry, in the Sierra Nevada Mountains back in California near Lake Tahoe. So it was kind of between Lake Tahoe and Yosemite National Park. And this was in 1971, two folks, uh, um, a skeptical reporter named Al Berry, and his buddy, Ron Moorhead, went up there. And this was kind of after the Patty film uh, went, you know, viral in the day. Of course, we didn't have viral videos back then. But the Patty film, of course, was in 1967. So this was four years later where Al and Ron went up there. And as reporters, they wanted to uh, see if they could find themselves a Bigfoot. Yeah, you know, and Kev, I don't know if you recall, but... Uh Ron made like a little guest cameo appearance on that Alaska Killer Bigfoot yes. series. He showed up there. Yep, yep, exactly. And uh, so they're out there, and they one night they woke up, or they were woken up, to some genuinely bizarre cries. And I'll put the links up on our website, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com, under this episode, 164 but, you know, some of you that are big enthusiasts have probably heard these before. But what's really interesting now is some of the recent analysis that's been done on the sounds, which we'll get to. Mm-hmm. But when you listen to this, well, first, let's talk about what Al Berry said. So he said, as dusk became dark night, something approached the camp from the ridge above. <laughs> yeah. Wrapping on wood or rocks as it came. And when it arrived, two voices that I could discern could be heard. And he said, it vocalized and the sounds carried through the trees. And I've never heard human voices carry ever before or since. Hmm. And he said, when it whistled, it was a clear and beautiful whistle like a bird might make. And he could hear these creatures, whatever they were, whistling back and forth at one another. And when you listen to the tape recordings, which they made at the time, and you can hear them talking about it while the tape is recording, just like you and I would, Bill, if we were listening to this, um, it ranges from, like, grunting back and forth in these really, really strong grunts, like not like a bear, for example. Mm -hmm. Uh, The whooping back and forth. And at times, uh, Al and Ron are whooping to the creatures. You can hear the difference of the human whoop versus these creatures, and they seem to be whooping back. And then probably the most spectacular part is when these creatures are, like, talking to one another. And I say that very carefully, talking. 
but in some language we never heard of before. Yeah. uh, Now, I've heard this many, many times, and it is just incredible. I don't think it was hoaxed. Uh, Kudos to Ron uh, for putting the time and the effort. This was a real... uh, uh, an outpost type area they went to. This was not easy to get to, and uh, you know they were out there alone. And the fact that they got these recordings, uh, kudos to them, you know, for uh, the work that they put in because it's outstanding. It's as outstanding today as it was then. Yeah, and uh, the the analysis. So if you take that, the recordings then. And you bring them to modern day. I mean, many experts have studied the audio. And these experts, Bill, right, they're clever. Like most of the time, and I'll give you another example where they figured out it was a hoax uh, in a minute, but not this one. These experts, they study the audio and they, they're listening. And I'm going to tell you about one by the name of Scott Nelson. He was a retired crypto linguist who used to be employed by the Navy He told a local newspaper that when he heard the recording, his whole world changed. It took me out of my paradigm. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And he says, uh, basically, it definitely appeared to be some intelligent language that was spoken by a family of intelligent humanoid beings. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So talking back and forth to one another. Yeah, and it definitely sounded like a conversation, like a give and take. You say yeah, something, and like, I respond. like no sound you never heard before. Yeah, really odd. And then also when these modern linguists study uh, the conversation, they say that the sounds couldn't be made by a human, like there's too much volume of air going across the vocal cords, and mm-hmm. the range is too much for humans to do. That's the other thing that's odd. You know, we think of Bigfoots as having this deep kind of foreboding uh, uh, voice, if you will. But they have a tremendous range of sounds that they can go through from high and low. Yeah, broader range than the human vocal cords. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, very yeah, interesting. super cool. I mean, I, I, uh, I can't believe it. So, you know, I talked about one of the... Uh, Uh, experts that looked at it here, Scott Nelson, but there's numerous ones that have reviewed it and they have come back and said, you know, best of their knowledge, this is not a hoax, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, and it's not humans. And I'm going to contrast this. I promise to contrast it to one that folks might have seen on the Internet. I don't think we covered it, um, but you also see it on television on some of the uh, History Channel specials where the so-called mushroom hunter, Bill. Did you ever see the recording of the guy who's hunting mushrooms on YouTube and he records the sound of what he says is a Bigfoot? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You've heard that, right? And it's yeah, like, I, I, whoa, I have, what is that sound? Yeah, I've listened to that in the past, but I have no recollection of what I heard at this point. Well, time. it sounds like something you never heard before. Yeah. But what's interesting is one of these uh, uh, audiologists, cryptolinguists, listens to it, and you can see this. It's on one of the shows on the History Channel. Um, I think it's, you know, the one that's like beyond the Skinwalker Ranch where they try to uh, debunk things. 
Right, um, right. And they covered this recently, and it's super cool. The guy, the uh, crypto linguist, uh, speech specialist, whatever he was, he listens to it, and he's like, yeah, this is definitely not human. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, he thought that he had heard it before. And, you know, they always show the sound wave, right? Like the recording of the sound wave. Yeah. And he found it on this dinosaur documentary. Okay. Where it was the sound of a dinosaur that was created for this documentary. And it was an exact match. So this mushroom hunter person, apparently, somehow, or someone else, we don't know it was him. Somebody broadcast this sound through a speaker, it appears... Uh, and it was the, the a recording of this dinosaur documentary. Yeah, and that was quite a bit of sleuth or detective work on the part of that guy that he had heard it before and did. Oh, it's did absolutely his, amazing. Yeah, he did his due diligence and found it out. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. So just a good, exa- you know, a good example of, you know, many folks have looked at these Sierra sounds, the Sierra sound recordings, and folks... I will put the uh, recording from YouTube up on our website again under Podcast 164. And uh, you go listen if you haven't heard it before, and you'll be like, what the heck is that? You know, the whoops and stuff, the whistles, okay. But when they start talking to one another, man, I don't know what language that is, but it's not a language we know. Yeah, and it definitely sounds like a language. Yeah, yeah. Uh, It's some type of speak. I yeah. mean, let's let's put it this way. It's not like listening to the raccoons jibber-jabber in my backyard. <laughs> no, it's, a, it's even more sophisticated than good old Cousin It from the Adams Family. <laughs> uh, that Cousin It with the sunglasses and the derby. Exactly. I just, I just had that image in my mind of the, <laughs> the sunglasses and the nice derby on. <laughs> oh, my goodness, man. Yeah, the Sierra sounds. How many times did Ron record them? Was it just a one-shot deal, or did he go back and get them a couple of times? I only know of the one time. Uh-huh. Yeah. Interesting how the uh, the fella Barry uh, relives how they heard them coming down from the ridge. Yes. So yes. they must have known they had arrived, or maybe they were tracking uh, Ron Moorhead and Barry. Well, uh, yeah, they were in the tent, right? So it's the middle of the night. They're asleep. Yeah. And all of a sudden you are awakened by, like, what the heck is that? You know? Yeah. You know, and interesting also that they didn't come closer or make themselves visible. Well, also, though, it's the middle of the night, Bill. Yeah. And what, do you think, if what are you thinking? They may have been visible, but just standing off in the dark. That's what I'm thinking. Like, if it's a Bigfoot, you know, you're out in the forest. If there's no moon that night, this thing covered in black or brown hair, you couldn't see it if it was 10 feet away. Yeah, and they were, uh, I'm sure they were in the timber. Yeah, and they didn't have a fire going. You know, they were sleeping. Yeah, boy. You want to talk about uh, you-know-what of steel. <laughs> Just to stand your ground with a tent. Terrifying. Uh, I don't even know if those guys, I'm sure they were armed. They must have had arms. Well, you never know. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's right, man. 
but uh, but like a group of them there anyway. I don't know if the arms would help you that much. Well, at least you'd have something you could make an explosive sound firing a couple of rounds that might spook something, you know? Yeah, yeah. But uh, wow, that, that's real. Yeah, the Sierra sounds, boy. What a crazy. That's right up there with the all-time great uh, Bigfoot encounters, you know. It really is. I mean, it's only audio, but it's spectacular. Yeah. 1971. Yeah, and it brings me back to these repeated uh, uh, accounts of, like, the Russian professor and others who said they thought they were listening to, like, people in a Chinese kitchen when they were ordering food. Or, or uh, the Siberian dialect that the Russian professor didn't know. Yep. It's very, very odd that people try to put a label on what it is they're hearing, you know. Yep, exactly. Wow, that's crazy, man. Wow. Very cool stuff. Yeah, and how about the whistling and whatnot, you know? These grunts and... Rah, 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 and then... The, you know, all these... And a whoop, whoop, whoop. Yeah, it's like they have a really collection. Weird. Yeah. You know, of things they do, you know. Very, very, very strange. Un- and look, I don't know of any other animal other than something that mimics, uh, like that crazy bird in Australia that mimics so- uh, noises that it hears. Right. Uh, that bird does like cell phones, car doors slamming, people talking. I mean, just unbelievable. Yeah, but the, the volume of sound here, they're saying it's, you know, more than any animal or certainly more than any bird could create, too. Yeah, well, you'd have to have huge lung capacity. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, just, they always talk about like a fox and a wolf and they can't create that much sound or and a bear just doesn't do any of that kind of vocalization yeah you know they grunt and they growl and stuff but that's it and they say things like hey yogi what are we doing hey how about some picnic baskets (laughs) hey boo boo how about (laughs) some picnic baskets they don't really (laughs) talk that way do they (laughs) Sure, bears talk that way. You just haven't heard them. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, that's interesting, Kev. Yeah. So we'll have to stay in touch with the crew of the Artemis launch. And uh, when that goes off and when they start uh, uh, getting about the business of uh, orbiting the moon, we'll have to uh, just keep our eyes on what happens because to me that's really interesting yeah no doubt about it It, you know and it may go friday or saturday okay they're saying if they're able to fix the engine on the pad so hopefully that's the case yeah now very interesting cool well i got something really cool here and uh once again a strange strange encounter to say the least uh in that how it happened and the way it happened, but who's to say what's strange and what is not strange in the realm of Bigfoot? So whatever happens, happens. And this particular account came to me from a fellow named Danny Rodriguez, uh, a turkey hunter working the western Pennsylvania woods. So western Pennsylvania, which, believe it or not, uh, at times has been a hotbed for uh, 
Bigfoot activity. Now, this is what Danny had to say. There are three of us who get together on a property in Pennsylvania every turkey season. I've been hunting here for about 12 or 13 years. We pay the landowner a nominal fee to be there, and we typically throw him a nice bird at the hunt's end. His property is a large tract of land that butts up against another family's farm, and all in all, this tract totals about 300 acres, so it's a, it's a decent piece of property. Both of these land holdings are against a semi-mountainous area and are mostly comprised of heavily wooded hills and some low-lying fields, predominantly made up of low grasses and some patches of scrubby brush. So Danny does a nice job of painting a picture of where it was he and these guys were. Part of this area used to be farmland, but the area in which we hunt is mostly the rolling hills, which are patched with deep wheat-like grass, some trees, and some open fields of green grass. We keep coming back because we never go home empty-handed, so it's productive. On our first morning setup in 99, 1999, we had positioned ourselves with our backs against the trees in the usual manner, facing a field where we had had very good success the previous year. I must mention to you that the real tree camo that we all wear is just about a perfect match for this land's tree cover, as you can imagine, just about as perfect a match for this land's tree cover's uh, tree cover, as you can imagine. If you didn't know that we were there, I guarantee you that you would walk right by us and never know that we were sitting next to you. That's how perfect the blend is up against this bark and cover. We were virtually invisible. We began our calls and heard a number of birds respond. After about an hour or so, a couple of nice toms entered the field behind some hens. And moments later, my friend Jimmy had bagged our first bird at a trip. After the first shots are fired, you're pretty much out of luck for the rest of the day unless you're a game to come back in the latter part of the afternoon. The second morning, we set up the same way as we had the day before. Our habit was to spread out in a line, each of us selecting the largest tree or grouping of trees we could find to lean against. We get ourselves comfortable, and then the calling and waiting begins. On this particular morning, there was a heavy, damp fog laying in the valley we were in, which severely diminished our visibility. Now, typically, one guy in a group is labeled the caller. It's never a good idea to have several men calling all over the place and stepping on each other's toes, so to speak, which would completely destroy the realism of what it is we're trying to create. On this particular morning, I was doing the calling. 
We had heard a number of birds, but then everything had come to a standstill. This is not all that unusual when you're turkey hunting, but this location is usually busy, and we had been batting a thousand here for a dozen years. Typically, when we called, they came. Now, whether or not they would come in range for a shot is another story altogether, but most of the time they would at the very least, come into view. However, this day, all the responses had stopped. So there we are, and while we're lying in wait, the fog was thickening. The forecast was for heavy rain later in the day, but our visibility had already dropped to 40 yards or less, and it seemed like it was going to continue to close in on us. I kept calling periodically, but still we heard nothing, so we sat and waited. It's rare, but sometimes you don't get much of a vocal response, and they will still appear. At about 7.30, it was then that I noticed a shadowy figure moving just in the fringe of our visibility at the time. If it had moved three feet further away, it would have been completely obscured by the fog. But I saw it, and I'm sure the other guys did as well. My initial thought was that it was a big guy in a ghillie suit, since the silhouette of what I was looking at was so big. However, we knew that there was nobody else authorized by the owner to be where we were. That is not to say that a loose cannon couldn't be running around out here, but a guy like that, think about it, could be easily shot. The silhouette was totally obscured from view by the fog for a brief moment before it came stepping right out of it again like an actor emerging from behind the curtain or a magician walking through a cloud of smoke. It was walking right towards me. I am sure that the boys saw it too, and a fear came over me that I can't describe. Of course, I had my 12-gauge loaded and ready, but I just couldn't drop the gun and shoot. Whatever it was, it had reached a point about 30 yards away before I said, Hey man, what the hell do you think you're doing? Just as I attempted to address this dude, or what I thought was a dude, a face came into focus. It was not a man at all. It was a Bigfoot. I knew that immediately but I couldn't retrieve my words. I could see large black eyes and a big mouth. Its face was ancient looking and partially covered in hair, and the visible skin was weathered and worn. This Bigfoot had to be at least seven feet tall and perhaps three or four feet wide. I could see that its hair or fur was really long, like that of a Shetland pony. And as it came closer, there was a distinct rotten smell that didn't quite register at the time. 
In my peripheral vision, I could see the other guys getting to their feet. And when they did so, this thing let out a loud roar like a pissed-off lion. And as it roared, it kind of twisted its head and moved its arms. I guess it was aggravated, but I wondered if this movement helped it to roar. Maybe only two seconds after it roared, it turned, disappearing into the fog with a few fast steps. The guys moved over quickly with their guns at the ready. We all knew this was a monster, not a stray hunter. And once it had disappeared, they ran over to me asking, what the hell was that? We looked around, catching sight of the impressions that this big, hairy thing had left in the grass. We could see exactly where it had come from and where it had gone. Even though we could have tracked it pretty easily, none of us were willing to go looking for this thing in the fog. I was glad it hadn't attacked. The quickness with which it had moved away showed me that it could have been on me in a split second. This creature was so big and thick that I'm not even sure my 12-gauge could have stopped it. As we made our way back to the owner's house, each of us kept looking over our shoulders, wondering if we were going to be rushed by this thing. When we made it to the house, the owner was amazed at our tale, and he said that there had always been stories and rumors of such creatures in the state. But he himself had never seen anything. He added that these types of things were always spoken about in private circles for fear of what others might think. It was certainly a day that none of us will ever forget. What do you think of that, Kev? Well, first off, he's not sure if the 12-gauge would have stopped it. I mean, come on. This is clearly an example where you need the AR-15 with the 30-shot banana clip and 5.56 ammo. (laughs) Yes, Carl Heinz. (laughs) No, it's amazing, but, you know, I was put off by the comparison to the Shetland Pony. Yeah. I I got to tell you, if I saw it... uh, Eight or ten foot hairy man, no matter what his hair looked like, I don't know if I'd make the comparison to a Shetland pony. <laughs> you know, I kind of uh, like the fact that he said the face looked ancient looking. Oh, yeah, that was cool. I mean, like ancient, I'm picturing like kind of, I don't know, like really grizzly and wrinkled. Furrowed, you know, that absolutely, kind of thing, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. And you've seen some of those sketches, you know, of the hairy man where it does have that wrinkled face, you know, it looks ancient, like what you would draw someone that was 110 years old as. Uh, and of course, you know, to the person who compared it to the Shetland pony, he did also mention that it had some big stank associated yeah, with it, the stank. I don't know of a Shetland pony that has stank. Yeah, well, you know, the descriptions of these creatures' faces varies uh, greatly. Uh, You know, sometimes they look really smooth, like a kind of like a young chimpanzee. Yep. Uh, The skin is kind of tight, and the eyeballs just pop. 
Uh, but when you say man ancient looking, that's like a rugged looking old sea captain or something, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, I was thinking the same thing, old sea captain. Somebody who's really been out there just, you know, definitely not using any skincare products. And not out there like you and I are out there, but out there. Yeah, really <laughs> out there. <laughs> Either that or we are really out there and he's just out there. We'll let the listeners decide. <laughs> Uh, pretty incredible, though. You know, the turkey hunter in western Pennsylvania. No, you're right, though, about that being a bit of a hotbed of uh, sightings. Yeah, well, I told you about the security guard's brother who photographed that footprint from the hospital that I saw maybe a year ago. Yeah. And uh, he was up in that area, too. So, uh, you know, there's, there's something stomping around out there, you know, and... Every once in a while, somebody's getting a glimpse of it, and probably more frequently than not, we just don't hear from them. That's true. That's you true. know, very bizarre, you know. Yeah. But that's it. Another great, uh, another great account. Uh, another group of guys who are out there doing something when most people are home sleeping, and and a group of guys that are regularly out in the wilderness. You know, right? We always talk about that, Bill. If you want to go see a Bigfoot, you can't just say like, hey, you know what? Uh, in December, I'm going to go out to the Sierra Nevada mountains and see a Bigfoot. Doesn't typically work that way. Yeah, well, these guys just turkey hunting alone had been at this place for 12 or 13 years. Exactly. Exactly. And who knows what other kind of hunting they do in exactly. the interim or fishing or, you know, a lot of sportsmen do a lot of things, you know. Well, yeah, I don't I don't know of any hunters that only hunt turkeys, you know. They don't yeah, go well, out in the other seasons and hunt whatever else. Deer. Yep. Or maybe take a trip somewhere once in a while as a special treat. Well, to, and other birds, too. Yeah, birds, know. game, pheasant. Yep. Yeah, interesting, though, you know. Very cool. So there you have it, bro. Well, what do we have in our listener mail today? Oh, uh, we got some good ones, Phil. The first one comes in, and it's interesting. It ties into uh, what I was talking about in cryptids in the news and other oddities. So it comes from Mike. And uh, it says, first, let me offer my condolences on Paula's passing. I know it's a struggle every day, and I just want to let you know that I'm praying for you. So that's very nice of you, Mike. Excellent. Yep. And he says, I also wanted to write because I heard WJ mention in a recent episode about how often people say the verbalizations they hear from Bigfoot sounded like they were speaking Russian. Mm. And this is pretty interesting. He said, it reminded me of The Murders of the Rue Morgue by Edgar Allan Poe. And he says, in this story, a detective named Auguste Dupin investigated the murders of two women in Paris. In interviewing the witnesses who heard the murders but did not see the murderer, they all said that the murderer was speaking in a language that they did not understand. For mm -hmm. example, an English witness would say that he was speaking Italian. A French witness <laughs> would say they were speaking German, etc. Mm -hmm. And Dupin, the detective, determined that the common theme was that every witness described the words as being in a language they couldn't speak. Mm -hmm. 
From this and other clues, he came to the conclusion that the murders had been committed by an orangutan. No kidding. <laughs> what a weird thing, huh? Yeah, yeah. And Mike writes, I thought the parallel was interesting. I love the show and uh, hope you both have a great week. Well, thank you, Mike. And it's pretty cool to hear about Edgar Allan Poe. I wonder if there's any factual, uh, any factual reality to Poe's uh, usage of an orangutan, do they have some type of speak? I think he's just, I, you know, I think he's just being uh, funny oh, in okay. the story, meaning that, like, but I think the key part of this is that, like, if I know a little bit of Italian, I know a little bit of German, but I don't know any Russian, if I hear something, someone speaking something, I'll be like, oh, it must be Russian. Yeah. Because I don't recognize it. Yeah, and and they're, they're thinking it's it's some type of human speak. Yes, but uh, of which course is that, true. Like when you hear the Sierra sounds, um, you know, which is why I picked to read this email this week. When you hear the Sierra sounds, I don't know what that is, Bill, but it really does sound like a language. Yeah, there's no doubt. There's a distinct it doesn't back sound and forth. like grunts and noises. It sounds like words. Yeah. Yeah. And there's also an up and down to the vocalizations, like yeah. almost if you were making a point or arguing a point with somebody or if you were aggravated or disgruntled with somebody who said something, you were like, well, why don't you just shut up? Yeah. You know, something like that, you know? Yep. Be quiet. They're going to hear us, you know? Very cool. Yeah, yeah. No doubt about it. Wow. Yeah, with inflection, right, in the yeah, voice. Yeah, that's it, inflection. Yeah. All right, and our our last letter comes from the other side of the world this week, Bill, from Takahashi from Japan. Uh-huh. Or I should say probably Takahashi-san. <laughs> and he says, I've recently discovered your podcast, and I'm listening to it to work on my English skills, too. So so I got to interrupt there and say, I'm sorry, Takahashi-san, that you're learning English from my brother and all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh. but he, Takahashi-san writes, I just listened to your episode on the suicide forest in Japan, or what we call, well, let me see if I can say this, Aokigahara. Uh-huh. And he says, the forest has a historical reputation as a home of... Yuri, or Ghosts of the Dead in Japanese mythology. And he said, this indeed is a truly scary place. Wow. Keep up the great work, Takahashi-san. Uh-huh. Well. Yeah. Arigato, Takahashi-san. Yeah. Domo arigato. <laughs> <laughs> so, so thank you, Takahashi-san. And Again, uh, you may want to listen to some people that can speak better English than my brother and I. But. Hey, what's hey, what's wrong with my English, yeah, hey, Bob? Hey, what's it to you? Hey, Adrian. Hey, let's talk about some Utes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, where's the toilet? I gotta go. <laughs> All right, Bill. We got another podcast in the books. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for listening, and thank you for writing in, and thank you for those great five-star reviews. Yeah, and remember, folks, if you should find yourself horseback riding through the Sierras, 
or turkey hunting in western Pennsylvania, you better remember just one thing. Always carry more gun than you think you're gonna need. Sleep tight.